Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Let's dive right back in. We kicked off a couple weeks ago with Dr. Scott Adams here, our brand new series called Kingdom Culture. Everybody say Kingdom Culture. And what we're talking about is a biblical worldview. Now, what is a worldview? A worldview is the way in which you see the world. You see the world through a certain lens. And whether you know it or not, you all have a worldview because you all see the world in a particular way. And we we filter the world through many different things. But in this series, we're here to teach you what the Bible says. And so we want you to be able to see the world through the lens of God's word. Because that is the clearest picture imaginable. That is the clearest picture because he created the world. And for us to see the world the way that he sees it is actually the right perspective. Are y'all with me? And so just to recap a couple things, we looked at creation a couple weeks ago. How God looked at the world when he created and said, it is good. And when he created man, he said, it is very good. And God created this perfect world. And I want you to think about that for a moment. If God created the world and God is in charge and he has something to say about how it should be ran. He has something to say about our lives if indeed he is the one who gave us life. And so we looked at creation, and then last week we looked at the fall, the fall of mankind, the most devastating day in human history when humanity rebelled against God. And we saw the, the, some of the implications of that, and we're going to dive into a little bit more of the implications of that today because that was the bad news. What God created was good. What man did was bad. And what's worse is what came after man did what they did. The the far-reaching, long-stretching consequences of our actions and sin entering into the world. As a matter of fact, it didn't take very long for things to go from bad to worse. In one generation, you have Adam and Eve disobeying God and eating the fruit, which by the way, was not an apple, more than likely. Most people's pictures, you see them eating an apple. I'm gonna give you my theory of what I believe the fruit was. Can I do that? My theory of what the fruit was. The only tree that's mentioned in that story were fig leaves. So my theory is that it was a fig. Now, for those of you who like figs, I'm sorry. Doesn't mean you can't eat it. That was the tree of, tree of knowledge of good and evil. Just my theory. But with that, I want to begin this morning by telling you a story. And this story I'm going to take my time with. Backtracking a little bit, I want, I want to make sure you, I don't miss this. In one generation, you have Adam and Eve eating fruit that they weren't supposed to. And in the very next generation, their children, you have jealousy and murder entering into the world. That's how sin works. It may start small, but it comes with devastating consequences and it comes with them quickly. 
So that is the story of the fall. But today I want to look at something a little bit different. But again, I want to begin by telling you a story. And I'm going to ask you as I tell you this story to stay with me. Because I'm going to take my time with this story and you will be tempted in this story to be uncomfortable. You will be tempted in this story, some of you, to just go, I don't want to hear this, I'm leaving. But I'm going to ask for your commitment to simply hear the story out to the end. Okay? Four people in the front row. (laughs) Just hear the story out. Story of a young man. He was a godly young man. He was a young man who saved himself for marriage. This man wanted to one day get married. He was a pure young man. This man loved God. And his name was Joshua or Josh. Now, Josh. Josh dated in school, high school a little bit, like most of us did, but nothing serious. Nothing was serious because of his absolute love and passion for Jesus. This young man loved God, just a great young man pursuing the heart of God. He even had a desire. His desire was to one day be in ministry. From the moment God changed his life, he knew that his life had meaning. He wanted his life to make a significant difference on those around him. So his desire was to one day preach the gospel. His desire was to one day share the faith that he'd come to know. And he was so focused, as a matter of fact, on getting to ministry one day that he wasn't really focused on dating relationships as he grew older. He was just so committed on achieving his goals. I want to get to this. I want to do this. I want to go through ministry school. I want to do these things. I want to get a good ministry job so I can make a difference in my life. Until the day that he met her. Men, how many of you remember the day that you met her? Thank you. Not a very responsive crowd today, okay. (laughs) But the day that she walked into his life and he knew that is the will of God for my life. The Lord is good and he only does good things. I remember the day that I met my wife. I was at a worship practice in Mississippi, which can any good thing come out of Mississippi? No. She was actually from Louisiana, so praise God. (laughs) But I remember that. For Josh, it was a day that would change his life forever. She was beautiful. She was captivating. She captivated his attention. The way she walked, the way that she talked, the way she carried herself, it was everything to Josh. He fell in love with her, head over heels, right out the gate. They began dating for a while. And they, they took things relatively slow, but it was, a, it was a very serious relationship. And to Josh's credit, they kept the relationship pure. They kept the relationship pure because of his love first for God. He made it very clear to her, I love God more than I love you. And because of that, their relationship stayed pure. However, Josh knew what had to be done. He knew that's the woman that he wanted to marry. 
So Josh waited a little while, and then he went to her father, and he asked for her father, he asked her father, excuse me, for her hand in marriage. Side note, young men in this building, that is still a good practice. When you get ready to take a woman to be your wife, to be your bride, you should honor the father and the mother who've raised her and prepared her in life up to this moment. You honor them by going and asking them for her hand in marriage. That's a good practice to have. Be on your best behavior when you do that as well. If you show up in ripped jeans without your hair done, you're probably gonna get a no. You may get a few other things as well. All right. To Josh's absolute delight, her father accepted and said that you can marry my daughter. But something that never quite left Josh was he was, the father was very reluctant when he gave the answer. Josh could never quite understand his reluctancy. It wasn't that he didn't love Josh, he loved Josh. He loved everything about Josh, yet he gave a very reluctant answer that Josh couldn't understand why. But nonetheless, all Josh cared for in that moment was the answer's yes. So the dating relationship went fine. Then the engagement relationship was fine until ultimately the big day came and they were married. Now the first couple of years were great. They were very fulfilling. They got along well. Life was relatively good. They had their arguments, their, their first arguments like most couples in here do. And for those of the couples in this room who say we don't argue, let me let you in on a secret. One or both of you are lying. Because <laughs> we all have those moments. But things were good. Josh was, Josh was pursuing his ministry career. Things were going well. He was getting opportunities. And his bride was right there by his side supporting him. A couple years into the relationship, she even became pregnant. And they were so excited. She gave Josh his very first son. He was a proud man. He felt like life was going exactly how it was supposed to go. He loved his son so much and he gave his son an odd name because like I mentioned, Josh was a Bible scholar. He was in Bible school, he had learned these things. So he gave his son a very interesting name and the son's name was Jezreel. How many of you ever named your kids Jezreel? Okay. But he named his son Jezreel. It was after a biblical city. They raised their son and before Josh knew it, things started changing. And he couldn't quite put his finger on what it was, but his relationship with his wife was starting to shift. It was starting to change. He suspected certain things. Don't miss this. Stay with me. He suspected things because she started getting colder and colder and colder towards him. He didn't know why the distance began. He would come home from his ministry job and share all of the great things that God was doing. And there was no emotion like there used to be. She would simply look at him and smile. 
And he couldn't understand what was happening. The last thing he wanted to do was accuse her of something. So he kept it to himself. But things again began to just get worse and worse and worse. And she became colder and colder and colder. And he noticed that she would stay at work later than she normally would stay. He noticed she wouldn't come home when she said she would come home. Certain moments that they would spend together, date nights and things, she was busy, she had other things going on and he couldn't put his finger on what was happening. And again, he knew something was wrong but he didn't want to accuse the woman that he loved. Confused by everything that was happening, because he had worked so hard to provide a good living for his family, he had worked so hard to make sure that his family had everything that, that he wanted to provide and things were so good, he couldn't understand it. So he decided, we're gonna get counseling. We're gonna go sit down with a counselor and maybe they can help us. Maybe we can get to the bottom of what's going on. And he knew I provided a good living. As a matter of fact, she didn't even have to work. She worked because she wanted to work. She wasn't working because he wasn't providing. He had provided a great living for his family. So they went to counseling and the things, at first things seemed to move in the right direction. But there came a moment where even in the counseling, she just shut down. Josh didn't know what to do, so he just kept moving forward. Until one day, out of the blue, she told Josh yet again, Josh, I'm pregnant. Josh didn't know how to feel. This was not like the very first pregnancy. The first time he was excited and he wanted to be excited this time that another beautiful child was gonna be brought into the world. But he didn't know if we're truthful if this was gonna make things worse or better. He didn't know if this, really, this time this child was gonna draw them apart or if it was going to be the thing that actually brought them together. So he reluctantly moved forward praying for a healthy pregnancy and a healthy child. And the moment came when she went to deliver the child and Josh was right there by her side holding her hand. Next to the doctors and the nurses, the very first face that that baby saw was Josh's. And to Josh's surprise, when that child was born, she looked absolutely nothing like him. Absolutely nothing like him. In that moment, Joshua had mixed emotions, anger, confusion, disappointment, pain. He didn't quite know what was happening, and he waited a couple weeks to confront his wife with a question that had plagued his, plagued his mind at this point now for well over a year. He asked her, is this child mine? And the only thing she could say was, I don't know. I don't know. Josh tried to be a good man after that. He tried to love the child. He tried to love his wife. He was a good man. He didn't want to throw everything that they had built away. So he tried to hold on. Again, pursuing counseling, reaching out to people to get the help, hopefully, that they would need, they would get the thing that would help them get some kind of breakthrough. He didn't want to just cast her aside. But the more they went to counseling, the colder and the colder that she got. And the more and more she resisted even his attempts to help. At this point, their relationship transformed from a relationship to a partnership. You pick up the kids, I'll take care of this. You do this, 
I'll do that. There was no loving relationship at this point. It was simply a partnership. Until, yet again, she became pregnant. And this time, Josh knew without a shadow of a doubt, this was not my child. Because they, they were no longer living as a married couple. They were just living as partners. They were coexisting. Josh was more angry at this point than he was hurt. And he thought to himself, and he would often say this out loud, how could she do this to me? After all that I'd done for her, he found himself looking in the mirror going, am I not good enough? Am I not enough? Why would she do this to me? That was the constant question. One day, Josh remembered the reluctance of her father and the day that, she, that he gave her hand in marriage, Josh called and asked him, I need you to be honest with me. Why were you so reluctant in giving me your daughter's hand in marriage? Her dad simply replied, Josh, I think you know why. Angry and hurt, he treated her differently now. More angry, he committed to himself, I will not kick her out until this baby is born. He didn't want to do that to the child, but if we're being honest and if he was being honest with himself, he was angry at both her and this unborn child. He hated them both. Often repeating the very phrase I just said to you, after all that I have done for you, how could you do this? To make matters worse, he began getting curious and he started going through his phone, her phone. He started finding numbers of people that he knew calling. Then he started finding numbers of people he did not know calling her. Some numbers he recognized, some he didn't. And through a series of text messages and investigation of what was happening, he found out that she was going, there was not just one man, there were multiple men that she was going to see. And to make it worse, he found out that she was going to see them for money. That she was selling herself to these men. Joshua's devastated, this was the ultimate betrayal. After all, I've done was the only thing that he could say. His world crumbled. And one night he didn't have to put her out because she just left. Now I wanna pause for a moment because as intense as this story is, I want you to know something. This is a real story. And not only is this a real story, and one that has perpetuated itself many times over. This is actually a biblical story. The story that I'm describing to you is the story of a prophet by the name of Hosea. And Hosea's name means salvation. Jesus' name means salvation. Joshua's name means salvation. God told the prophet by the name of Hosea, I want you to go and marry a prostitute by the name of Gomer. And Gomer gave Hosea a child. But then Gomer got pregnant two more times with children that were not Hosea's. And Hosea the prophet stayed with this woman because God had asked him to. 
And I want you to see what happened and why God asked him to do this. In Hosea chapter one, verse two, this is what it says. When the Lord, the Lord first spoke, began speaking, excuse me, to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. God said, Hosea, I want you to go and marry this woman who will be unfaithful to you because I want to illustrate a point. And the point that I want to illustrate is how my people have treated me. Being unfaithful to me, turning away from me to other gods, prostituting themselves to any god that they could find. The next chapter, I'm not gonna read it to you, but Hosea chapter two. The next chapter is Hosea processing through in anger and frustration how he felt, how that made him feel, what he went through, and all of the anger that you felt listening to that story, all of the frustration that you felt or disappointment you felt in that story, imagine being Hosea. Loving that woman, caring for her, but knowing what she was doing. Pastor, why are you telling us this story? Why did you, why did you do this? Because I want you to see something. We are Gomer. We are the wife. We have done to God the very thing that Gomer did to Hosea and the woman in our story did to Josh. They were unfaithful. Last week we talked about the fall. And again, Genesis one, God created the world and it was good. And what happens in Genesis three? The fall. We choose something else over him. And that is the bad news. The bad news is simply this. We were born into the world with a sinful nature. We were born into the world with a desire for something other than God. Because of Adam, we have these desires in us to want something other than what God wants for us. There's an old hymn that says this. Let thy goodness like a fetter or a chain Bind my wandering heart to thee. Don't miss this. Listen to this. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Our very nature is to wander away from God. It's our human nature. I said it last week. You don't have to teach a child how to sin. You don't have to teach a child how to lie or teach them how to steal. They're born with a desire to do it. That is our human nature. That is our fallen nature. However, in our fallen nature, this is what we love to do. We love to compare our sins to each other's sins. We love to compare how bad we are to how bad other people are in some form trying to make ourselves feel better. Here's the thing. That never works. 
because few people in history have been as bad as Adolf Hitler. Yet that's our standard of that's bad, I'm good. Yet few people in history have been as good as Mother Teresa. Yet even as good as Mother Teresa was, she needed Jesus. This is what I want you to see. We're not all equally sinful. However, every one of us has a fallen nature and we all need redemption. We all need saving. We all need forgiveness. We all need God's grace. We all stand before God unjustified in and of ourselves. I may call out, even speaking, I may call out a sin and say, God says that's wrong. God says that wrong. And I will not compromise on doing that. I will not back away from calling sin what God calls sin because that is love. When you love someone, you love them enough to tell them the truth. I love you enough to tell you that if you're sleeping around, that is a sin against God. I love you enough to tell you if you're living in a homosexual, transgender lifestyle, you're sinning against God. I love you enough to tell you if you constantly lie, you are sinning against God. That is not God's condemnation. That's God's love. Because he does love you enough to change us. And I will not back down from that because God's word does not back down from that. You're judging me, Pastor. I'm not. I'm just like you. I'm just like you. I'm a sinner in need of God's grace, in need of God's mercy. I'm not better than you. But my eyes have been opened to what I need, and I hope that yours are as well. We all stand before God unjustified, separated from God by our sin. Romans chapter three, verse 10, this is what it says. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise, no one is seeking God. All have turned away, all have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having an excuse and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. That is the result of the fall. We have an inability to follow God in and of ourselves. When you walk around with your religious pride and I'm holier than thou, can I just tell you the truth? You're a sinner. I'm better than them because I'm not like that and I don't have that struggle and I don't have that issue. You're still a sinner. Your sin may be pride. Your sin may be self-deception. See, last week when we talked about the fall, one of the things we, we talked about is when they ate the fruit, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, their eyes were opened. 
And their eyes were open to their own nakedness because up until that moment, they did not realize that they were naked and uncovered. And the Bible says what? That they, did, they, they covered themselves with fig leaves. And as I mentioned last week, fig leaves are uncomfortable. It's like realizing, I forgot underwear. Let me put on some sandpaper. It's essentially what they did. But here's the thing, we continue to do the same thing. We cover ourselves with fig leaves. And let me give you a couple examples of the fig leaves that we try to cover ourselves with. We try to cover our, we try to make ourselves better by covering ourselves with this, self-righteousness. I'm a good person and I'm a good person because I'm better than you. That's a fig leaf. And honestly, that's what the world is doing today. We live in a cancel culture that says, if I have a hint that you are not up to the standard that I think you should be, even though I reject God's standard, this is man's standard, and if you don't meet that standard, I will cancel you. That's called self-righteousness. How do I know that? Because you're not taking into consideration what God calls righteous. It's only about what you consider to be righteous. We call things righteous that God says is unrighteous. We call things, we think I'm gonna be tolerant of you. When God never says be tolerant of that, but what he does say is love them. He does command love people. But that's our self-righteousness because we want to be more compassionate than God. We want to be more righteous than God. That's why it's called self-righteousness. And another one is something I just poked fun at. It's religiosity. We try to hide our sinfulness by being super religious. I actually posted something about this yesterday, but you when you talk to someone and all they give you is a Bible verse, how are you? I'm blessed and highly favored. This is the day the Lord has made. <laughs> Bro, I just wanted to hear good or bad. <laughs> it's just, it's like they deny any kind of feeling or any kind of reality because everything is a scripture. And they're denying themselves. They're, so, they're almost disconnected from reality. I want you to know, I told someone, I was meeting with a couple this week, and I pointed this out. This is what our sinful nature is like. We have to process through things with God, not just deny them. Because when you deny them, it's like taking your sinful nature like a beach ball and driving it underneath the water as if to keep it down. How many of you know sooner or later that beach ball is coming out of the water? You can't deny your sinful nature. You do deny yourself. But you have to die to that by bringing it to the cross. And we try to cover our sinfulness with our religiosity. I heard it put like this. God doesn't give us his word to hide our problems. He gives us his word to heal our problems. That's why he gives it to us. Well, I'm just in faith. You're not in faith. You're denying reality. 
God does not want us to deny reality, but what he does want is for us to recognize that his word is the highest authority. His word is the highest reality. And there's a difference between denying problems and sinfulness and acting like it doesn't exist and being honest and humble and broken before God going, I have faults, I have flaws, I have problems, but God heal me of this. It's a difference. There's a difference. We fight so hard to be good people. And I want to give you the hard, realistic truth of what God's word says. None are righteous. No, not one. None of us are in and of ourselves good. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says this. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. See, when you live your life by a list of rules, I'll never forget this. The day that there was a kid who had invited me to come to church with him, and I was lost. And when I say I was lost, I was lost, lost. I know some of you think I was born in church, born under a pew. Not the case. The day the guy, there was a guy was witnessing me, inviting me to church, I was literally getting high. And he was telling me about Jesus. And I remember my response to him was, I know the Ten Commandments, which was a lie. I knew a few of them and I knew there were 10. I was like, yeah, I know the, I know the law. I know, I know what I should be doing. Was I doing it? No, not at all. And a feeble attempt of us trying to obey all of the law will not make us righteous. All the law did in the Old Testament was reveal to the people that they could never be perfect. Can I reveal something to you? You can never be perfect. You can never attain to perfection. None of us can, myself included. What is sin? I'll give you a good definition of sin. Sin is a departure from a divine standard of uprightness. It's a departure from a divine standard of uprightness. Another way of putting it, sin is actually an archery term. When you're shooting a bow and arrow at, a, an, at a, an archery arrow and you miss the mark, that's called sin. Because you were supposed to hit the mark, but instead of hitting the mark, you got off course and went in the wrong direction. That's called sin. That's what sin is. And in and of ourselves, we are constantly not hitting the target, not hitting the mark. And just like Gomer, not only do we miss the mark and sin, but we end up becoming slaves to that sin. See, the bad news is this. We all need redemption. And we've all fallen short of God's glory. What is redemption, Pastor? Here's a great definition of redemption. Redemption means to secure the release or recovery of persons or things by the payment of a price. See, when you say you need, when I say you need redemption, this is what I'm saying. You need to be set free. It's not something you can do in and of yourself. It's not something you can just gain. You can attain to. When you're redeemed, someone's paid a price for you. 
someone has purchased what needs to be purchased that you could never purchase yourself. Are y'all with me? Another simple way of putting it, to redeem something means to buy it back. To buy it back. See, Adam in sin sold us all into slavery. We were sold as slaves to sin. But here's the good news. Because in that same chapter of Romans, the very next five verses, Paul gives us the good news. Verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shed his blood, shedding, excuse me, his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and included them in what he would do in this present time. Don't miss this last part. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. That's the good news. Simply put, we owed a debt that we could not pay, and Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe. That is how we are redeemed. That is how he redeems us. He buys us back. Not your politics. Your political persuasion doesn't make you righteous. Your good deeds doesn't make you righteous. They don't save you. Your acceptance of people of all walks of life does not make you righteous. What makes you righteous is when you are far away from God, Jesus said, I'll pay the price for you. I'll pay for you. You were bought with a price. You were redeemed by his blood. Thank you, Jesus. Now, as I close, I want to finish the story. Because Josh slash Hosea eventually finds his wife, Gomer. And not only had Gomer gone back to her prostitution, but some scholars believe she had become a slave. Again, that's what sin does. It cracks the door and tries to come in so that you can have a good time, but it wants to take over the house. It wants to capture you. That's what sin does. Hosea finally finds her, and this is what the Bible says. Hosea chapter three, verse one. Then the Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet is committing adultery, as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. It's a whole different message for another day. 
This is Hosea speaking. He says this. So I purchased her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethchen, a lethchen, excuse me, of barley. Then I said to her, you shall live with me for many days. You shall not play the prostitute, nor shall you have another man. So I will also be towards you. He sought her out and he found her. She was still in her sin, still in her way of doing things, and he found her. Here's the irony. He had to purchase a woman who already belonged to him. Does that sound familiar? God created us. He made us. We belong to him, yet he had to come and purchase us back. After he redeemed her, he says something to her. He says, I want you to come and live with me for many days. But stop sinning. Stop chasing those other men. Stay faithful to me and I will be faithful to you. What I'm giving you now is the picture of redemption. Because all of humanity, all of mankind, fallen from God, though he created us, though he made us, we've turned and we've worshiped sex, we've worshiped money, we've worshiped idols, we've worshiped other religions, we've worshiped popular culture, we've worshiped popularity, we've worshiped all of these things. And when we were a slave to those things, Jesus came and laid his life down to purchase us who were slaves to our own sin. That is redemption. That is the story of redemption. And that's what he's, for every person in this place who's born again, that's what he's done for you. And I caution you, rather than walking in religious pride, remember where he brought you from. Remember what he did for you. And for those of you who are far away from him, here's the offer that he makes to you today. The same thing that Hosea said to Gomer, I'll purchase you back. Come and live with me, but stay faithful to me and I will be faithful to you. That's his offer to you. That's not hate. That's not anger. It's not judgment. That's love. That's mercy. I want to end with this last scripture because I want you to see the character and the nature of who God is. As I close, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. But verse 13, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the story of redemption. I thank you, Jesus, that the price you paid was for us. Though we had sinned against you, though we had hurt you, though we wounded you, though we were unfaithful and we walked away from you, you cannot deny yourself. You are a faithful God. And you loved mankind enough. Like you said, God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever would would not perish but have eternal life. Thank you for that truth. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you saved us. With no one looking around, with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here today and, you, and if you're honest with yourself and you say, Pastor, I'm far away from God. I'm, I'm not redeemed. I haven't yet been bought back. But if that's what he's offering me, that's what I want. He wants you. He loves you. He died for you. So with no one looking around on the count of three, I'm going to give you the opportunity to be what the Bible calls born again. And what is born again? It is just like how it sounds. He takes a dead person and he brings them to life, new life in him. God didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And he's offering you life today if you will let him buy you back, if you will let him redeem you. And I'm going to ask you to do a process that's very simple. We, we say it every week is as easy as ABC. A, you admit. Admit what? That you're a sinner, that there's sin in your life that separates you from a holy God. That takes humility. It takes humbling yourself and saying, God, I need you. B, you believe, believe what? That the story I just told you about Jesus coming is real and he actually did it and he did it for you. And C, you confess, confess what? Your allegiance to him. That you will stay faithful to him and that he is now Lord of your life. So with no one looking around on the count of three, if you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be born again. I want to lead you in a prayer, but I'm, I'm going to ask you in the count of three to lift your hand because I want to acknowledge who I'm praying with. What he's offering is eternal life, not just heaven one day, but life that begins right now. One, two, three. That's you lifted up. Thank you. Keep it up high. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Anyone else? This is your moment. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Anyone else? Praise God. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Praise God. Thank you. You can put them down. If you didn't raise your hand, but you say, Pastor, that's me. My heart's beating out of my chest. I don't, I didn't want to raise my hand because I'm scared. Don't be afraid. You have nothing to be afraid of. This is the moment that you go from death to life. So if that was not you, I want you again on the count of three, lift up your hand if you didn't raise it before, but you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be born again. I need that. One, two, three, lift it up. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. You can put them down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together, all of us. Say these words with me. It is not the words that save you. It's going to be the spirit of God that saves you, the price Jesus paid, and you're surrendered to that redemption. Say these words with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin and you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. 
you died to buy me back. And from this moment on, I will follow you. And I confess and repent of my sin. God, you are my father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Church, let's celebrate with every person that prayed that prayer.